0: Let's continue in Ephesians, shall we? And continue that uh, word that was there in the, towards the end of chapter 4. We'll, uh, to refresh, we'll start in verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands a thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good for the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's pray, Father. We uh, as we look into the Scriptures uh, so commonly, Lord. Systematic, uh, seeking to work through it, we ask, Lord, for understanding, for believing and remembering hearts, and for the uh, correct application of Thy Word, Lord, by the Spirit, that we might bear fruit unto God. Be with us to that end and to the glory of the name of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last time, I think we finished in verse 26 on that uh, thought. Be angry and sin not and uh, let not the sun go down upon your wrath neither give place to the devil. We'll look at that uh, that concept of the Giving place to the devil more fully in chapter 6. But basically, it's it's tied in to letting not the sun go down upon your wrath. And there's two, primarily two issues there. One is the immediacy, Um, failing to deal with things promptly can give place to the devil. When you think even of weeds, you know get them early, as they overtake the garden. Uh, things need to be dealt with some things if you don 't deal with them swiftly, you leave a door open for Satan um, so there 's that the the uh, closing the door, and the other aspect is allowing Satan to fill the heart by letting anger fester then um, you can go from a place of common human passion to now being uh, a dwelling place for an evil spirit. Um, Peter said to, and this can happen um, not only in anger, in other areas as well. Peter said to um, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost, right? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart by thinking, hey, (laughs) Oh, man, we don't want to part with all this money, but everybody else is, and maybe they know. So let's look like we're being faithful with our money, but keep back for us. He hatched this deceit born of covetousness, such that now Satan had filled his heart. Judas, same thing, Judas fell by anger. He was covetous, and because of his covetousness, he he kept the bag and was pilfering some of it for himself, evidently. He didn't care for the poor. He was a thief and had the the bag. I suppose he volunteered for that position. And when this woman poured out this alabaster box of ointment on Christ's head, uh, very valuable, the equivalent of a year's salary for someone who worked for minimum wage. And Judas is like, why was this waste made? This could have been sold and given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, right? And the Lord reproved him. And he went out and sought opportunity to betray him. This, this anger, unjust anger, but even that carnal reaction to the humiliation and the rebuke, he could have responded in real time and dealt with it there. Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> um... He gave place to the devil such that Satan entered into him after the sop. The devil had put in his heart to betray him. And he carried on. Satan entered into him. Can you imagine such a depraved being that the devil himself, not a devil, the devil, indwelt him? And the apostle warns believers who are sealed with the Spirit of God to not give place to the devil. All right. So don't you think just because you're a saved person that you cannot conduct yourself in such a way that Satan can have a foothold or a place or a stronghold in your soul. And we're commanded not to give place to the devil. And the, the way to avoid that is to deal with any anomaly, anything that goes wrong, deal with it today. You let things fester. Now you have a resident that you don't want. All right? So that's, that's the caution of the apostle. Brethren, you and I, whether we like it or not, we are at war. We're in a race. There are a number of uh, metaphors that are used for the Christian life. Uh, even worldly people recognize that life is a conflict. Life is a war. We're engaged in a spiritual warfare. And enemies can be confrontational and they can be subtle. Don't allow evil to fester in your soul. Deal with it today. That's the message there. And anger is the epitome of that because it's so forceful. It's so passionate. And it's a vent for all that is selfish and corrupt in, um, in man. So, be angry and sin not it has a the phrase lends itself the the sentence to a number of um, interpretations as we looked at be angry and sin not let not the sun go down upon your wrath whether it is a response to a provocation a carnal response to a provocation a righteous response to an injustice um, whatever it is deal with it promptly and do not allow a state of anger to simmer in your soul whether it's carnal anger or righteous anger. Deal with it now. We saw that in the Lord Jesus. Um, we looked at it last time. I think it's Mark chapter 3. He looked round upon them with anger. Grieved for the hardness of their hearts. He dealt with things in real time. Uh, the zeal of his house. The zeal of God's house ate him up. And he made a scourge and drove the corrupt out of the temple. Christ... Um, Christ dealt with these things in real time as well. All right, and that, uh, that I think is where we finished um, last week. Again, right, I shared a bit of struggle I had uh, initially with, you know, putting away lying. Why does that even need to be said? And here we are again, verse 28, let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. And what we're seeing is this um, practice of contrasts here. He started with what God has done for us. Um, you have put off the old man and you have put on the new man. These are two contrasts. The old sinful Adam, the new righteous Christ. Uh, Our old man is crucified with him, Paul writes to the Romans. And then he says, now you also put off, um, uh, actually I'm going to quote Colossians again because a parallel passage, right? Uh, But putting away lying, speak truth, Um, steal no more, but rather labor. So you might have to give, we're getting this contrast between dark and light. Lying we looked at as a metonym, uh, no, nope, I got that wrong, as a synecdoche, uh, right, the part for the whole. When you're lying, you're doing evil, you have evil intent, and we look primarily at the, uh, the negative aspect, the, the different levels of lying, um, from lying to cheat somebody, uh, or sorry, for, even before that, lying to harm somebody. Right. False witness. They bore false witness against Christ to have him put to death down, you know, to lying to cheat somebody down to, quote unquote, the white lie. And, you know, I teasingly said, um, you you always tell your mother-in-law she looks beautiful. I mean, it's a bit of a tease. Um, Don't please don't take that uh, literally. The point is that don't work evil towards your neighbor. That's really the point. And we're going to see that here about your speech filled with grace. You shouldn't flatter somebody and tell somebody, you know, you can imagine someone, they've been asked to play a piano at some uh, wedding or something, and they're really not very good. Pretty awful. Well, awful is a strong word. But, you know, they're clumsy, it's clunk, clunk, and it's, it's very iffy. And somebody who doesn't know how well they play just heard that they play piano and Uh, And so this person's going to answer them and they ask you, do you think I I play well enough to play at this wedding? And you know they don't. You should tell them. No. Don't set them up for this, oh yeah, you're awesome, you can do this. And you're thinking, I wouldn't want you playing at my wedding. Right? Like, don't be doing that. That's not kindness. That's not love. Um, But graciously, you don't have to break their knees. You can let them down gently. You know, you've got a lot of promise, but I don't think you're there yet. And probably you'll be more blessed than everyone else if you decline this one and maybe next year or something. But you don't have to say, oh, are you kidding? You sound awful. That, like, that's not necessary, right? Grace. So, yeah, um, the so-called white lie is not a good thing. The point is don't work evil towards your neighbor. That's what the apostles after. Uh, uh, because we're members one of another speak truth one with another now in verse 15 speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ that is talking about the truth of the gospel you have an inheritance in Christ um, you're a child of God all the promises of God towards you are yea and amen you're, you're speaking truth and building one another up in love that's not, you know, I'm just going to tell you the truth in love. You, you dress the person down. it has got nothing to do. Verse 15 is about the truth of God, the promises of God, the word of God edifying and building up. In, um, but in verse 25, he's talking about more ordinary and mundane interactions. Just honest interaction, business dealing, uh, practical matters. You're not working harm, you're working good. You speak truth, you know. Um, What time is the meeting? Uh, You know, see you at such and such a place. What's the value of this? Whatever it is, truth, practical. So there, um, all truth comes from the spirit of truth, but in verse 15 we're talking about spiritual things, and in verse 25 we're speaking about practical things. Um, Daily interaction, social and civil life. Um, And first in the church, but of course to all men, right? And this, uh, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands a thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now, the stealing, you know, (laughs) how many levels of stealing do we have? It's, um, I did try and work this out. What are we dealing with here? It's a companion of lying, right? Uh, Stealing is. Um, What would that have looked like in the context, in the first century? And then what, how would we apply it today? Well, there's the most basic, the sermon or the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? This man is going down to Jericho. He fell among thieves. This is um, a mugging, right? (laughs) People are hiding. They jump out, beat him up, and take his stuff. And that would have been a common situation in the world at that time. And it's still common today in certain parts of big cities. It's very common. Don't go down there, right? Don't don't be alone in certain areas after dark. All kinds of things. To be robbed, whether it's at gunpoint, at knife point, or just ambushed, knocked unconscious and robbed. Now, some of those people get saved. And you would hope that they don't need to be told not to do that anymore. Um, so that's your most basic level. Of sneaking into houses, you know, or onto properties, to barns. I've got a friend, and uh, he, he inherited some farm property up north. And, you know, you have lots of stuff, and they would get stuff uh, stolen. People would come in the back of the farm on ATVs and raid the barn and take it. So he wrote on all of his portable belongings, stolen from, and then he puts his name on it, you know, somebody in in a sharpie or something. So if you're out there with a level or a cordless drill or whatever, it's got stolen from and his name on it. I think he gave me something once and it has stolen from, you know, on it. I don't know what I did about that, but uh, I guess he wasn't thinking about that aspect of things. The stealing. Sneaking into a place and stealing. But think about the context. Life was hard. There was no welfare. The, we've mentioned this repeatedly. That the uh, economy was such that soldiers would gamble over the used clothing of a poor man. Right? We live in a place where many people many normal people not wealthy just normal people would it would hurt their pride to go into a second hand shop that's become less stigmatized in the last 20 years but um you know you're it's a shame that you're so hurting that you have to get food at the food bank or or stop shop at value village or whatever i mean we've been doing that since we had children haven't we dear yeah Uh, scraping well you've got to do something if you're going to live on one income and a cabinet makers income at that in the city so um, there there was (laughs) there wasn't this prosperity that we have give us this day our daily bread was a realistic prayer probably none of us have had to pray that a few of us might have had to pray Lord could you send me some work but you still had a food in the fridge and in the freezer and in the cupboard while we're praying Lord I need some work to make bills uh, pay bills but that was a reality then take no thought saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed it was common for masses of people their their, their basic necessities a month from now were uncertain that would have been common. It's hard for us to imagine that in Canada today. There are parts, other countries, where thousands and millions of people could relate to those sayings of Christ. Pray, give us this day our daily bread. After we've prayed for the missionaries and the kingdom and the glory of God, by the way, Lord, it would be nice to eat today, please. That's the setting. Soldiers. <laughs> Uh, Some might uh, find this controversial. I don't want to go there now. But you think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, you know, when the people asked him, what shall we do then? He was addressing one theme in his answer to everybody. And it was covetousness. He that hath two coats, give to him that hath none. And he that hath bread, likewise. Clothing. If you have two, you're doing well. We've got like... To periodically clean out our closets and send it off to a third world country. And we're in the bottom quarter of prosperity in our country. That's how prosperous our country is right now. He that hath two coats, he that hath meat, give to him that hath none. There were enough people without food for the day that you could say to somebody, You want to repent? You've got enough food to feed yourself. Today and have left over you find a poor person who doesn't have anything and feed him. That was the economy. You got two coats find somebody who's just got enough that he's not naked in public and give him one of your coats. The soldiers demand of him. What shall we do? Right? Um, Do do violence to no man neither accuse any falsely and be content with your wages. This is dealing with covetous. You don't Shake someone down, hold him by the feet and shake out his pocket, so to speak. You're doing violence to him. Why? Abusing power and to get his money. Accusing him falsely. Just be content with your salary, which was meager. right? It's, and it happens in other places today. I think you brothers talk about Mexico, right? Every time the police stop you, they're wanting some money. This is the kind of thing that was going on. Be content with your wages. It's in that context stealing was common to go to the market, the shambles, you know, trying to pill for this, pill for that. Stealing. Let him that stole steal no more. And work not only with that, you if jobs are hard to get, if you're going to work all day and sweat for a penny, which will get you your daily bread, a lot of people could do better less work you can steal your daily bread instead of a full day's sweat you can relax a lot watch your opportunity pickpocketing i've heard of um settings and i don't want to beat up on mexico but i think it was or a south american country anyway um where you got these teams of people and i think they're they're short so they i think they're young people but they, they, in a crowded place, they could just knock somebody over. And they've got knives and everything. And they slit their clothes open. They don't harm them. They don't stab them. Slit their clothes open and take wallet, purse, money that you're trying to hide. On, and gone in seconds, right? Trained. Remember as a boy, part of my worldly upbringing, you know, the, the um, uh, novel by um, Charles Dickens, I think. Uh, Oliver Twist. And then we saw, I saw the, the musical of it. I forget the name. Maybe it's the same Oliver Twist. But the pickpocketing, right? And this, this fellow, Fagin, and running a school for these young people, how to pickpockets, and they'd practice, you know. And so you're walking along, and you, they, they're all trained how you can sneak up undetected and take stuff out, wallets, handkerchiefs, just rob people. That's going on today. It didn't just start in our lifetime or in um, Charles Dickens' lifetime. Pickpockets, right? Going around just taking money out of somebody's purse, taking his purse, stealing from the market. This is going, let him that stole steal no more. Right? You're trying to get your daily bread with, uh, get as much as possible, as easily as possible, dishonestly, selfish, saying don't do that, but let him labor, honest, embracing the hardship the degradation that may come with it, the humiliation that comes for laboring by the sweat of thy brow shalt thou eat bread, laboring for less than you could steal. Let him labor. Learn an honest trade. The righteousness of the gospel impacting people in, uh, in real time, in real life. This is the, the setting in which it was. Let him, let him that stole steal no more. That old is done. Right? You can imagine somebody that was so good at pickpocketing. And this is a poor person. This is not an established um, man, a well-to-do man like Zacchaeus, who can uh, give half his goods to the poor, restore fourfold to everybody he's cheated, and still have enough to live. Not a wealthy guy like that, but somebody that relied on theft. For their daily bread. And doesn't have a prosperous job. You can imagine now. A temptation. What am I going to eat today? And you're a really good pickpocket. And you're in a crowd of people. Can you see someone like that being tempted to just go back to the old ways? Hard for me to imagine. We have lived in a country that has been so impacted through generations and centuries of the gospel in Western civilization, that the idea, as we talked about last time, of somebody smacking somebody is just scandalous. And that would have been a normal occurrence in the day, um, in, to offer an insult or to respond to an insult, smite somebody on the cheek. The religious, the clergy of the day, thought it was appropriate to just have people smacked for their insolence. Speak something inappropriate, smack him one. Like that was the climate. That was the culture. Um, where the, uh, the teachings of Christ and the apostles were first administered. We have had those things purged from decent society through the gospel. Here we're dealing with uh, theft. Let him that stole steal no more. We can't imagine the burglary, the mugging, the shoplifting, the extortion, right? False accusation, you know, cheating somebody. It's just unthinkable to us and this would seem like a, a completely unnecessary uh, commandment. There are, but there are some that could come maybe closer to home. I mean, begging under false pretenses. This is something and you see it today. There was a story in one of the newspapers some years back. You know, a woman sitting on the streets in Toronto, right? and Shivering and, and shaking and, you know. And at the end of the day, she'd go around the corner and drive away in a BMW. I don't know. I think it was, she was discovered to be making $50,000 a year or more through begging. Right? Yeah. You remember her? Illumina, I beg your pardon, I'm wrong, Illumina. Yeah. I thought it was a BMW or a Mercedes. Yeah, a nice one too. There could have been two of them. So, Or maybe, you know, I was reading uh, one of these newspapers that get stuff wrong, right? So, yeah, it's star is what I thought I read it in. But anyway, they're all as bad as each other. Birdcage liner is really what they're good for, right? Um, but the point is, begging fraudulently. That's a thing. See, you know, a fellow there, I, I don't know the clip, it might have been a movie, I don't know. But the fellow, he's got his, um, his hand, you know, pulled out of his sleeve and then behind his back. So he looks like he's got one arm and he's, you know, begging money and then gets some money. And you see him go around the corner and he pops his arm back through his sleeve and takes off. That's, that's stealing, right? You're, you're getting money through fraud. Begging under false pretenses. Well, even that, that I think would obviously have no application to us. The apostle spoke of himself not eating anyone's food for naught. This is how strict he wants to go. But before we get there, unequal balance, right? A just balance is the Lord's delight. So they would measure out things by weight. We've got these digital scales in the grocery stores now. But it's very common to trade things and you've got a a scale and you've got these weights, counterweights. You put your product on the scale and you put your counterweights on and when they're level, there's how much you ordered and you get your payment for. And uh, one way of stealing would be to shave down your weights or hollow them out or something so that, um, or make them them lighter so that it says one pound but you're only getting, you know, three. Seven-eighths of a pound. What the person couldn't quite detect. You couldn't make it half a pound because, you know, people are buying a pound regularly they know. That's, that's stealing. Cheating people in business, right? Um, that would be something that uh, would have been going on then as well. One of the things that might be more common in our civilized country today I remember um, in my teens working at the grocery store and on uh, night shift I, um, I worked as a cleaner with the other man I think they were called, we were called porters midnight and the grocery guys would stock the shelves and so on and you've got the bulk food section and so sometimes people would just go through and grab a handful of this, handful of that Or take a handful into a cup and and eat while they're working. That's stealing. And I remember um, a man I worked with, a Christian man, one of the fellas, um, denouncing him as a hypocrite. It says, you know, what does the Bible say? Thou shalt not steal. But what does he do? And he takes some of the stuff out of the bulk food and eats it. Now, I never saw him do that. Um... Perhaps he'd repented of it, but somehow he'd gotten this name amongst at least some of them. Theft, taking what is not lawfully yours, is stealing. So, somebody work in an environment taking the employer's inventory. I tried to be very conscientious with this as a as a teacher. You know, um, the photocopy machine would be there and. Um, <clears throat> You photocopy, oh, we could have just been feeding trees into that photocopier, the amount of paper. So much for the computer reducing paper consumption. We, it ramped it up. You're photocopying tests, you're photocopying handouts, all sorts of stuff. And so, if you have personal stuff to photocopy, no one will know. You've got a code, you photocopy stuff and... All kinds of stuff. I thought, if I ever would use a photocopier, I would uh, make sure that I printed more than that for a class. So, just an example, my wife wanted something photocopied for the children, 40 copies. Then instead of printing one copy of a test and photocopying it at school, I would print on my own printer 40 copies. So it was a... Equivalent trade. I hadn't fraudulently or misuse my employer's resources, right? So I'll print more. So I'm using my resources to print and then I'm taking them back, right? So it's, it's a fair trade. That kind of thing. Rather than um, abuse the trust of my employer and take what's not rightfully mine. That kind of thing, right? We want to be faithful. I remember a neighbor and I should have reproved him, but... Maybe it was just cowardice. I didn't know what to do. But he, and it was a quick transaction. He came home and he, he, he had a piece of plywood four by four, and he looked at me and said, "Yeah, I, did, you know, I, I swiped this from work. And went off to do something." And I was just like, "You think that's a good thing? Like, you know, it's like I stuck it to the man, kind of thing. Us, us low-income people need to celebrate these small victories or something like that." I, I, I didn't say anything to him. I didn't say, good for you, but I didn't rebuke him. And, you know, off he went. Many years ago, that's when we lived in the co-op there in the second place that we lived in. five-bedroom. Stealing from your employer, right? What about the grocery store? Or any store? What about when an invoice error is made in your favor? You bought ten things and the clerk only billed you for one. And you don't find out until you get home. You either call them right then or you go back the next time. Right? What about selling something? And this, you know, <laughs> try and instill this in my children. Uh, a good deal it has got to be good for the buyer and the seller. When we're buying, we want the lowest price possible, right? When we're selling, we want the highest price possible. Well, how is that fair? Um, we just, uh, my new son-in-law, they, they, uh, they moved out to B.C., and my brother provided a car for them there. So he took his work truck, and he left his, um, his old car for us as a gift. And, of course, you have to get a safety certificate, and I took it to Brother Henry, and it was going to cost way too much, to bring it up to speed, that more than what I wanted to spend, you know. So, so I'm going to sell it now. Ask Brother Henry how much should I sell it for? It's got, it needs a lot of thing. It needs, you know, all new brakes, new tires, new windshield, um, steering, tie rod, whatever. But, so he told me uh, I should sell it for so much. So that's what I put it up on. Or best offer. People tried to lowball me. Some less than a third the price. Some just over half. Phone Henry, said, you know, should I take it? He said, no, you can get this much for it. I know I could get this much for it, so I wouldn't take any less. So I revised the ad. But I put on the ad, we'll need for safety. This, 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 this. Full safety inspection report available. And um, best value will be for somebody who can fix it themselves or has a friend who's a mechanic. I put all that up front. I don't want anybody to have any regret full disclosure you're going to need to do this 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 I told them when they were there how much it would my mechanic said it would have cost me to to fix it and the eyes widened a bit but you know they were both mechanically inclined and were going to do the work themselves so, gave them the report from the full safety inspection honest right to not do that to try well, I hope they don't find out about this or I hope they don't know that's stealing it's fraud It's dishonest, right? Borrowing and not returning. Now, I don't mean because we're getting forgetful. Borrowed your shovel and I forgot, you know. Although that's not good. But theft is an intentional thing, right? The other is negligence and unfaithfulness. Borrowing and not returning, money or otherwise. How about this? Employer, employee. Checking your cell phone on company time is stealing. Spending time in the bathroom on company time is stealing. Now, if you have to, you know, some things can't be postponed, but make it as quick as possible. You don't go there to loiter. And how about, because you couldn't wait till your break time to do that. How about giving your employer back some extra time to make up for that, right? You have a contract with your employer. Those people that are employed by the hour. You have a contract with your employer. He pays you this much money per hour. You give him an hour of labor. That's 60 minutes of labor. Each minute is comprised of 60 seconds. Rudyard Kipling wrote this poem, If, you know, to his son. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run. How he finishes it. Then yours is the world and all that's in it. And which is more. You'll be a man, my son. The minute, 60 seconds. He's inspiring him to to manhood, right? If you can see all you've labored for, you know, destroyed and set down and build it again with broken tools and so on. It's a very inspiring poem. Fill the unforgiving minute. That clock ticks. You're never getting that second back. 60 seconds in a minute. If you can fill it full of 60 seconds worth of faithful, productive labor. And 60 times 60 is an hour. And you have agreed and contracted with your employee. He's going to pay you this much. And you're going to give him 60 minutes of faithful service. Don't spend five of those minutes loitering. You're stealing from your employer. You're breaching a contract. You're, it's like you go into a store to buy 60 somethings, 60 of something, and they only give you 55, but they've advertised that price for 60. You count them out, you've only got 55. Stealing. Working lazily. So you work the full 60 minutes, but you're know, you walking like... I mean, I could make a few funny comments about my own ethnic background, land of my nativity. Working lazily is stealing. Now, if you're on salary, if you're on the piecework and you want to turn a one-day job into six days and the person that you're selling this, you know, that's on you. But are you being faithful to the Lord with your time? That's another question. But in terms of treating men and women uh, working lazily when you're being paid by the hour of stealing. Fraudulent collection of government benefits. These are things people do. This is more common in our society, right? Dishonesty. You know, people, it happened through the, the, the whole lockdown thing. People collecting Serb when they didn't weren't impacted and, and all kinds of things. You hear people, they're collecting welfare, uh, collecting unemployment insurance benefits. Now it's called employment insurance benefits. Um, when, it, for, when I was younger, it was UI, you know, unemployment insurance. Now it's EI, employment insurance, the same thing. And so they work for cash and they don't declare it. That's stealing. It's theft. Let him that stole steal no more. Cut that all out. Let him labor, working with his own hands, that which is good, right? An honest work, right? That he may have to give to him that needeth. The thief is using dishonest means to gain for himself. The righteous man is using honorable, honest means to gain for others. It's a complete contrast of darkness and light that he may have to give to him that needeth. To the person who can't work. But wishes he could. The disabled. The maimed. The halt. Yeah. What a contrast. Between righteousness and wickedness. Honest work. There, brethren. There is dignity in all honest work. Whether you're picking up garbage. Or you're a heart surgeon. You're the same in the sight of God. If you're doing it unto him. It's not this pride thing. you know. Um. The thing which is good. Honest labor. Now, some, just because something's legal doesn't make it good. Uh, I don't believe a Christian should be a bartender. We all, amen with that? Amen. Is that good to serve people alcohol? Wine is a mocker. Christian bartender. And there are some occupations and, or, or things that, deeds that could be done that are not fit to mention. And so we won't mention them. Labor the thing that's good. Right? Um, Look for some. And increasingly that's more difficult. The the education system is so confused and perverted and degraded. I don't think I could be a teacher today. They probably fire me by the days out. For saying something that they didn't like. Um. What about, I mean, I taught woodwork and technology, which was pretty, but being an English teacher and having to teach some novel that's filled with uncleanness, right? Um, so there are, there are controversial um, occupations that the Christian will want to avoid, but there are many, many trades and occupations that are good, and the Christian is to labor, Faithfully, with his own being, hands and feet and everything else, what is good, so that he may have to give to him that needeth. And there's all kinds of venues for giving. People are in need, the poor, the the uh, missionaries that are going with the gospel. Uh, What a contrast between light and darkness. So honest, declaring, you know, fair value and a little bit. There's this thing called a baker's dozen. How many of you know what a baker's dozen is? It's not for people with bad math. It's a little more, right? Thirteen's a baker's dozen. You go and buy a dozen buns, and back in the day, you, you know the baker, the local baker, and you go in for a dozen buns, he gives you 13. He gives you an extra because full measure, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You know, it's a scoop, right? You're, you're getting flour, and you're cold with your bag, and he gets a scoop in, and um, good measure, and presses it down shakes it so that any air pockets go down shakes it and he presses it down scoops a bit more just you know and it's flowing over and he pours it into your bag good measure this is the righteous method and practice of the christian you're selling i don't know you're, you're making a hundred widgets or whatever and someone orders a hundred count in a hundred and you, you you throw in i don't know three five however many more to make sure maybe one got broken maybe i miscounted good measure Righteous, faithful labor. You don't punch your clock out at 4.59, 59, 59 5.00, how much time did you take to walk there? You know? Give a little bit more. Righteousness is the, the Christian uh, laboring with his own hands. It's like speaking truth with his neighbor, right? Um, I mean, it's so straightforward that which is good working goodwill towards all verse 29 let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers now he's going to describe and define uh, what he means by corrupt communication later um Verse 31, evil speaking. Um, Chapter 5, verse 4, foolish talking, jesting, um, and so on. Uncleanness. So he's going to define or give specific examples of corrupt communication. But here this is just the the, um, the broad category. Just don't let anything bad come out of your mouth. But that which is good... To the use of building up. Edifying. A building is an edifice. So that which is good to the building up of the other person. That it may minister grace to the hearers. What. This is the thing. Let's look at. Uh, let's look at this concept here. Uh, James. Right. I'm just looking at a couple of things I jotted down here in terms of uh, stealing and so on and different things. Um, of course, taxes. I know some think, well, we shouldn't be because they're doing all kinds of evil stuff with the money. That was true when Paul wrote that as well. Render unto Caesar. It's got their pictures on it, their codes on it. It's their money. And they ask for their taxes. You give it to them. Right? Don't cheat on your taxes. Timely payment. Uh, and fair payment of debts. Got someone doing work for you, pay them on time. Right? Bible talks about those. Pay them full value for their labor and so on. Right? So I didn't mention that one. Um, James here on the tongue. Chapter 3. The tongue is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, verse 9. And therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield Salt water and fresh. Now, James is addressing a truth here. And he has a particular view in mind. And uh, we're not to be like those foolish people that try and make the Bible contradict itself. The law had blessings and cursings. And the priests, half of them on Mount Ebal, half on Mount Gerizim. Bless you, right? It pronounced pronounce a blessing if you do this, and a curse if you do that. The Lord has the goodness and severity of God. He will both, uh, the promises of God are yea and amen, and then there's the wrath of God. And you can say, see, see? But what James is addressing is the hypocrisy, because what is coming forth from God is all good and all righteous. And James already establishes that the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. That the cursings of which James speaks is done of malice and hatred and and selfishness and unrighteousness. And that's what he's addressing. And we should not seek to make the scripture um, destroy itself and invent contradictions. What James is saying is that out of your heart should come sweet water good fruit figs it's goodness this is what paul is addressing here in in ephesians 4 you're you're uh, you've got the new man so there's no more lying truth is coming out you're you're not manipulating you're not swindling you're not working evil you're working good with your words toward your neighbor you're not dishonest in your civil um conduct but you're laboring faithfully at a righteous, noble trade or occupation. So that you can give to the needy. It <clears throat> says goodness. And now he's talking about um, your speech, your communication generally. And he says, let nothing corrupt come out, but that which is good. That it may build up. Uh, <clears throat> I love this annunciation um, in, in the... Uh, the Gospel, Luke, right? Coming up to Christmas time. And it is a shame what's been done to these passages. They, they've taken on this soulish, sentimental feeling. Uh, Luke chapter 2, right? Uh, unto you, verse 11, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. We all know what swaddling clothes are, right? It's a good English word that we all use every day, swaddling. It has to do with um, dealing with the newborn. and uh, they I don't know the technique. I mean, I don't think I could properly put a cloth diaper on, the ones that you have to fold and all that, you know. But, yeah, you'd swaddle the baby. It has to do with cleaning the child up when they're newborn and, and then wrapping them up. Swaddling clothes. Swaddling a baby used to be a thing. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Listen, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. This is a thing that uh, when Christ came... What was being manifest was a consistent fountain and flow of goodwill toward men. Jesus Christ, um, the apostle preached, went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Never once did he say, I'm fed up with you, you're now a cripple. He went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And we are to be those that good things come out of our mouths. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That it may minister grace to the hearers. That everything... And see, it starts in the heart. In in Proverbs chapter 23, you know. um, Be not thou envious, or desire not the dainties of him that hath an evil eye. Right? Right? For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he, but his heart is not, in, not with thee. And That which thou eateth, again thou shalt vomit up and lose thy sweet words. Something like that. Proverbs 23. As he thinketh in his heart. You've identified this guy as a guy who has an evil eye. You've seen his life. And now when he says to you, oh, eat, drink. No, no, no. As he thinks in his heart, that's how he really is. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, Jesus said. And what is to be the heart of a Christian but Christ, who has good will toward men? When that rich young ruler came to him, I think Mark records it this way, and he fell down on his feet, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? I... You think, you know, you're a good rabbi, I'm a good rabbi. You, know? you think they're all good rabbis? Only God is good. Do you really understand what he's saying? He didn't say you're wrong. He didn't say I'm not good. He says, Why are you calling me good? <laughs> but if you'll enter into life, keep the commandments. And he lists a bunch of them. And the man says, All these have I kept, what lack I yet? And Jesus could have roasted this man. He's in public. You covetous thing. How many. You are rich right. Look at this in Job. Look at this passage. How many poor people. Did you pass by. On your way to me. Are you one of those hypocrites. It is Corbin. What are you doing to your parents. He could have roasted him. He could have used all the gifts of knowledge. And discernment. And exposed the man's hypocrisy. He had the power could have confronted him with his sin like so many Christians think they ought to do, they don't know themselves they don't know what manner of spirit they're of Jesus looking at him, loved him he had compassion on this self-deceived hypocrite who thought he was righteous, do you understand that's what this rich young ruler was, he was a self-deceived hypocrite he was rich and the scriptures told him plainly open thine hand wide to thy brother He had Job, when saw I any naked and clothed him not. He could have been so busy ministering to the poor. It was plain as plain in the scripture. And he had deceived himself in his covetousness. He wanted to keep his rich life and justify himself. He's busy tithing of his little things and keeping the rest for himself. He's doing all of these duties. And somehow in his conscience he knew he was missing something. And the Lord could have totally exposed him. He looked at him and he loved him. He loved a self-deceived, self-righteous hypocrite. He loved him. And he, he said to him, And the Lord was so gracious. Do you understand this Lord Jesus? If thou wilt be perfect. If you want to get anywhere with God. It's not how he spoke to him. If thou wilt be perfect. Go sell all that thou hast. And give to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come take up the cross and follow me. He gave him an answer that convicted everybody around him as well. He didn't put him beneath everybody. He let this young man work it out. He upheld this young young man's dignity while he confronted him with the truth. This is the thing, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He didn't want to expose him to ridicule, to scorn, to shame. He loved him. And he put the truth in the most gracious way possible without diminishing the truth. If that is how the Lord Jesus spoke to a self-deceived, self-righteous hypocrite, how much more should we speak with grace to one another? There is very much land to be possessed. When When you consider how it commonly, the way Christians deal with one another, you realize, Lord, we've got some work. Now, I'm not meaning this to impugn anyone here, but brethren, let us take hold of these things, always. Let us live these things and let us teach these things. Speak, all right? Let no corrupt. What's a corrupt thing? I mean, just think of rotten fruit on the reduced rack that's been there a week longer than something on the reduced rack should be. (laughs) Um, It's corrupt. It's the opposite of that which is good and that which edifies. It doesn't build somebody up. put down of any sort. That which is good. That which blesses God and blesses men. Praises God and edifies men. Winsome. Look at the Lord Jesus with it. Look, you know who Zacchaeus was. Oh yeah, he was a good little publican. He was a guy that had um, stolen. False accusation. That's how he'd amassed his wealth. He was living the high life off the backs of people that he exploited. And Jesus comes up to him and says, Hey Zacchaeus, I want to have lunch with you today. Without any sense of... You disgusting. Like, do we understand who God is? Full of grace. Coming to embrace lost sinners. This leper comes down to him. Good man. Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean, you know. He touched him. Do you understand? Lepers had to cover their mouths and walk around unclean. Everyone keep away. Talk about physical distancing. The Lord didn't like, you know. Right? Touched him like. Touch of love, comfort, I will be thou clean. Let no corrupt communication. Let nothing come out of your mouth that doesn't build somebody up. That's the apostle saying, be a fountain of good building words. This fountain of living water, this fountain of grace, building others up. Hallelujah. Now if you've been born again, that's a fountain that's in you. Live it. That's what he's saying. Put off all these other things. Right? How are we doing? Grace unto the hearers. Grace. A way for them to escape whatever wrong they're doing and enter into life. Goodwill toward men. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord. Oh, perfect, perfect these things in us, in me, Lord. Mm. There's lots, uh, lots that could be said on those things. Let's, uh, let's keep moving, shall we? Grieve not, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, Paul here has put things in compressed form, and then he's going to expand on them in the subsequent verses and chapter. Right? Um, you've put on the new man, right? By being baptized into his death, you've put, have already put off the old man. You've put on the new man. Now, let's do it in real time, practical. Right? Therefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth to his neighbor. So don't, don't work any ill toward your neighbor, your fellow believer. Um, be careful of your own heart. Deal with things in real time. Don't let uh, the devil have a place in you. In your civil life, work things honest and do good. In your speech, let it be good. Right? So just, these are summaries. Cynic donkey, right? We've learned that $10 word. I um, think we've got it. The part for the whole. This is not a complete. It's just different areas of life. Your, brotherly, your brotherhood life, your personal life, your civic life, your speech. Now he's going to unpack it. But he, he says, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. What a comfort. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you grieve the Holy Spirit of God? See? What's the most prominent thing? Well, let's, uh, let's see if I. In Psalms, turn to the Psalms, shall we? I believe we want to be in Psalm 78. Okay, I see. No, that's not where I want to be right now. I did question that. Uh, we will come back. We will come back to Psalm 78. So we'll put a, a pencil mark there, a page mark. We're um, going to come back to Ephesians, but we want to. We'll start in Hebrews and then we'll go to the Psalm we're after from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter three. All right. All right. Verse 7. The psalm we want to go into, Psalm 95. I didn't think 78 sounded right. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, and he's quoting Psalm 95. Today, if ye will hear his voice. Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, so I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. In departing from the living God. And you can look at. In the interest of time. Yeah, I always run myself short. Uh, psalm 95. I believe. That's where we. Where we. Uh, that psalm is taken from. That, that quote. <laughs> I was grieved with that generation. And the apostle spells it out for us. Because of their unbelief. Right. What happened. Who whom I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. What was the story? They had been sent in to spy out the land of Canaan. Right? God had given this land to them by promise. He'd given it to them through the promise to Abraham. He'd confirmed that promise to Isaac. Again to Jacob. Moses had come with the word of God. They'd seen God's judgment on the wickedness in, in Egypt. He brought them out to the promised land. Um, parted the Red Sea. They not only had a heritage, they had a personal history with God's miracle-working power. And now he says, all right, I'm going to bring you into this land. Go and get a, a, a look for it. And they come back and they say, it's impossible. What their words were simply meaning was that God can't keep his word to us. This can't be done. And it grieved God. Basically, I was saying, I think, to our children at the table uh, recently, three things in in Jamaica. If you want to get into a fight, when I was a boy there, I don't know what the culture is like today. There are three things that you could say to someone, to another man, to get into a fight. One of them is to call him a liar. You say, (laughs) it's hopeless. We can't win this. You're saying God lied to us. And they've been saying that over and over. Can he provide food in the wilderness? Right? Our soul loatheth this light. Like over and over and over again. They had accused God of evil through unbelief. That was a thing that they did. And I think that's what uh, Psalm 78 says as well. Verse 40. How often did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? We're told don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. How do you, how does somebody, a Christian, grieve? Whereby you're sealed till the day of redemption. This is a born again person. Number one way to grieve the Spirit of God is unbelief. Unbelief. This promise of God, whether the general promises of scripture. Or something that God has quickened to you directly from those scriptures. To not believe him is to grieve him. You're accusing God of being a liar. Would you accuse your wife, your husband, your mother, your father of lying to you? If you or I don't believe God, then we're calling him a liar to his face. This is very grievous. Wouldn't you be grieved? You pour your heart out to a loved one and he looks at you or she and says. You're lying. I don't believe you. Wouldn't that grieve you? That's what it is to disbelieve God. God can't do this for me. God won't do this for me. For God so loved the world. He gave his only son. And whoever believes in him. Shall not perish and have eternal life. That means you. Well, not me. Yes you. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? And you and I are to come to God in faith. His proof, he has proved it. He took upon him flesh and blood. He took our sins in his own body and took them away through his death and resurrection. He demonstrated that. He didn't just leave us a book of history to believe. He demonstrated it in real time. That when he says I love you with an everlasting love. He means it. And this is the seal of certainty on all of his promises. Notice the comfort. He says grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Lest he depart from you and that's it. You lose your salvation. He doesn't say that. He says whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Even though you might grieve him. He still Loves you and stays with you. So all the more reason not to grieve him. And the most grievous thing is unbelief. Isn't this, we saw this even in Mark. uh, When we looked at the anger. Mark chapter 3. It's the same thing, right? A hard heart of unbelief. Mark chapter 3, and when, and this is Jesus, when he looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. You know, the Lord Jesus was so gracious, even with the twelve, on pride, you know, (laughs) They, they, they argued about which of them is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. This is pride, male competitive pride. And he basically sits him on his knee, rubs him back, you know, and says, Boys, it's not going to be like that. Serve. You see this little child? He didn't scorch them, but when did the Lord really reprove them? Unbelief. Have ye you your heart yet hardened? That's when the Lord spoke sternly to the disciples. Unbelief. Grieve not. The Holy Spirit of God. Now, what, what quality or word goes most commonly with unbelief? Let me ask you an easier question. And then the opposite. What word goes most commonly with faith? Trust and obey. The obedience of faith. What word then goes most commonly with unbelief? Disobedience. Disobedience. These are the grieving things. Right? Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. To the the Philippians, Paul will say, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you to will and to do of his good pleasure." Obey the word of God. You read it. I, I love uh, Fred Thompson. He's British, you know, sense of humor. He's gone to be with the Lord. He says, you want to hear God speaking to you? Read your Bible. You want to hear him speaking to you audibly? Read it out loud. <laughs> Obey his word. This is God speaking to you every time you read your Bible. Now read with discernment, right? rightly divide the word of truth you're not you're not um, you're not a jew you're not called to the mosaic law but love thy neighbor as thyself you read that yes lord amen and all of the myriad things good things god has to say so he he says these negative positives um, put away lying speak truth right so you have your relationship with the brethren Referred here as to your neighbor. Although, you know, your unsaved neighbor, you shouldn't lie to him either. But it's talking about your church relationships with the family of God. For we are members one of another. It's talking about your own soul. Be angry and sin not. Neither give place to the devil. It's talking about your life in civil society. Don't steal, but work that which is good so you can give. It's talking about your speech. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. He's talking about your relationship with the Lord, how you treat God. Don't grieve God. He's addressing the various aspects of how this new man functions in real time. So okay, there's this um, You can do these things, but when it comes down to, as well, your own personal walk with God, believe in it. In your heart, those things for which you pray, whatsoever you ask in prayer, believe that you receive them, Jesus said. When you and I pray for things that are beyond our power, that's what we pray for. You don't pray that God will get you up out of bed in the morning, you get out of bed in the morning, right? He's not going to do that. But things beyond our power, believe in the Lord. Know that you are praying to a wise, omnipotent, benevolent God. And so you pray with loving expectation, knowing that He will do more than we can ask or think. Don't grieve Him. And so when we when we have something, God speaks to us, whether in our conscience or in His Word, let us obey the obedience of faith. I'm convicted. Think of things that have taken me so long to deal with. And God is so gracious. Hmm. You're sealed unto the day of redemption. I don't want to get into some controversy you know once saved always saved you can lose your salvation I just want to look at this truth and say this is the heart of God he's a covenant keeping God and just because you may have grieved him through unbelief and disobedience he's still committed to you he has sealed you you're his till he comes for you and that is not a license to sin you can deal with those ideas another time sealed unto the day of redemption loved with an everlasting love this is what he said to um, uh, through the prophet Zacharias and Haggai to, to them there building the temple as I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt so my spirit remaineth among you that's even after the vision of Ezekiel where the glory of the Lord departed from the temple his covenant is an everlasting covenant I will never leave thee nor forsake thee therefore brethren Let us not grieve him. Time will fail and we are out of time. Let all... I'll go through this very quickly and say this and Sean will take it up um, as he preaches. Chapter 5, he wants to review what uh, we've missed here. Verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. He's expanding a bit on the things he said before. And this is a decrescendo. He starts at the worst. Right? So, bitterness is the fountainhead for wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking with malice. So bitterness is the fountain, malice is the motive. And in between the worst of them is wrath, little less than that is anger, lower than that still is clamor, and quieter yet is evil speaking. Wrath, vehement or violent anger. We start with bitterness, right? Bitterness in the heart, the source of what follows. Bitterness, feelings of animosity, spite, poison, you know, bitterness, resentment, opposite of sweet. In the heart. Wrath is the worst. And I don't think any of us have ever seen that. Vehement or violent anger. Fierce indignation. Rage. Fury. Anger in action. Such as vengeance, etc. Can you imagine a raging, like throwing furniture? Maybe throwing fists. Wrath. Unrighteous man. A rage. This is over the top. Anger, hot displeasure, strong feeling of provocation. Right? So it's it's coming decrescendo. You start at the top and coming down. Clamour. Loud shouting of complaint. Vehement expression of feeling. So you did that, you shouldn't have done that. You know, this is clamor. Anger is the feeling, clamor is the expression. Right, so wrath is, this is just a wild fury. Furniture flinging, fists are flying. Wouldn't surprise me, profanity, right? Wrath, that's just, boom, the volcano is blown. Anger is hot displeasure, strong feeling of provocation. There's no mistaking that. Murder in the eyes, right? Clamor is the verbal expression of it. Loud shouting of complaint. You know, we've maybe seen those kinds of things between unbelievers in the parking lot. People fighting over a parking spot. Had occasion to say that to a young child not so long ago. So you don't outgrow these things. Grown-ups, two complete strangers, get into a shouting match in a parking lot over a parking spot. The two-year-old, that's my toy, a biff, bam, scream. And then the adult, that's my parking spot, biff, bam, scream. Age doesn't fix sin. It usually just makes it worse. The cross of Christ fixes sin. Clamor. Loud shouting, vehement expression. Evil speech. Right? Now, this is evil speaking. You can speak very calmly. Evil is the opposite of that which is good. Evil is anything tending to harm, causing trouble, pain, or discomfort. So you can speak quite calmly something that causes harm, pain, trouble, discomfort. To or about someone. I don't hate that guy. I love that guy. But, that's evil speaking. You are harming his good name. If a good name is to be preferred more than great riches, and your speaking of someone harms their good name, that is evil speaking. And you would not do that to someone that you loved. And the apostle says, let that, and it comes, be put away from you with all malice. Malice is the desire to injure someone, active ill will, a wrongful intention. And people, look, let's try and extend this. You know, if you want to see, are these lines parallel or are they deviant, right? Just make them longer. So, I love that person, but. She or he has this problem, this problem, this problem. That's evil speaking. No, no, I love them. We've got to deal with these. Okay. I love that person. But pow! I'll just bop him one in the nose. You could, I, I don't feel any harm. I just like swing in my arms and, you know, I kind of like to feel that softness on my fist. And, but I love him. Would you believe that? you love the person, you wouldn't be bopping them in the nose. Well, if you love the person, you would not speak about him or her in a way that harms their name to other people. It doesn't matter what feelings you think you have in your heart and emotions. It matters what you're actually doing to the person by your speaking. This is what the apostles say. And in fact, if you are going about... Speaking to this person or that person about someone in a way that will harm their good name. That's evil speaking. Let all bitterness, and that's the animosity in the heart. The wrath, the anger, the clamor. These are all expressions of it. And evil speaking. Be put away from you with all malice. That's an active ill will or wrongful intention. Brethren, these things, all of them come from that source. And you don't see them in Christ. Christ spoke evil, if you will, of one class of people. And it was the class of people for whom it was impossible for them to be saved. He said, How can you escape the damnation of hell? They were so far gone that he had to all he could do is warn the disciples not to be like that. But you don't find him speaking evil of like Matthew the tax collector and his sinful friends, Zacchaeus, the rich young ruler. Like he just didn't do it. When he was personally insulted by um, uh, Nathaniel. (laughs) I really like you. You're honest. Let it all be put away. And be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ's sake. Brethren, let us not deceive ourselves. Um, You know, I love so and so, but... This is a self-justifying way to vent some personal grievance against someone else. If you really love them, you don't have to say it. It's obvious. If you think you need to say it to offset what you're about to say, you shouldn't be saying what you're about to say. It's so easy to do. This is, this is the one we really got to watch. The Mount St. Helens eruption of wrath that's obvious, I don't think I've ever seen that in a Christian. Anger maybe that's subjective, but you know, clamour, loud shouting denunciation. I think I've seen that once, maybe twice in forty years in professing Christian. No once? Twice. I can remember two incidents in forty years where I've seen someone professing Christ shout in anger. Evil speaking. It's a church killer. I think. Uh, And it it comes from a lack of love. Most churches are destroyed. Through evil speaking. Evil speaking is so destructive. Easy to do. Easy to do in the home. This is an area where. um, Probably very 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 few people. uh, Are. Completely blameless. Let us examine ourselves. Let us, uh, you know, seek and destroy. Let us put on the new man that we are building up. Speaking good, um, no evil speaking. I don't need to speak evil to you or about you. I want to speak good things to you. You're going to be fully conformed to the image of Christ. Grace is working in you. Hallelujah. You're my beloved brother, sister. I see the beauty of Jesus in you, and I don't even want to talk about what's lacking yet. I might mention that to the Lord when I'm praying for the both of us to be perfected. But I just delight in you. This is the fountain of goodness that should be flowing all the time. Hmm? Amen. Brother? Yes. Let uh, and this kindness, kind to one another, tender-hearted, right? Forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you, Lord, I can't imagine how many things about me are naturally odious to you. You know, we we talk, forgive me, I mean, not mention anybody here or anything like that, but it's just a, I don't know if you've ever talked about the, the, the general, um, State of humanity. Some people, they smell bad and out in public. You know, you're stuck in a crowded bus beside somebody that really smells bad. Anybody ever had an experience like that? Or somebody with really foul breath? Or, I, I remember a, a very close friend. She was, um, his wife was telling, um, I think it was her brother, her feet smelled so bad that when he came home from work or came home from school even, he wasn't allowed to take his shoes off. He had to go straight up to his bedroom close the door behind him, open the window, take his shoes and socks off and throw them out the window. And his mom would deal with it. That's how bad his feet were, right? He got married. I don't know what his wife had to deal with that. But, you know, um, these, we can have ways about us that just our way can be like that to God. But he's so gracious. He loves us. Do you understand? I don't know how much about me is like that to God. So, but he loves me and blesses me and smiles upon me. So that's how I want to be towards my brother or sister. If they have ways about them that are offensive to me. So what kind, tender hearted, as God's forgiven me and is gracious to me. How much do I do wrong ignorantly? Never mind things that I've taken so long to deal with. He's forgiven me and blessed me. How much more should I have compassion towards my fellow Christian who has shortcomings? Tender hearted. Do you see it brethren? The members one of another, the compassion, the camaraderie, they totally for one another rather than oh, I don't like this about so and so. Do you see that what the apostle is teaching us here? This is the new man. This is the, 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 the manifestation of Christ. In His people, that there is such a love for one another, and a kind forbearance, and a, a grace, grace, goodwill, do good one to another. This is the um, the life of the Christian. Let us pray, Father.